You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm going to steal your microphone for just a moment. So, I'm also going to steal your chair because I'm pretty tired at this point. <sighs> Welcome. Thank you all for coming tonight. I am Rena Weissman. I am not only a board member of Longstanding, here with Variety Children's Charity of Northern California, in whose lovely screening room you're sitting. Um, I'm also here on behalf of Tachyon Publications, who helps underwrite SF and SF. And I'm here on my own as well, because after five years of putting this event together, I, I think it's time I own it. <laughs> so I want to thank you on my behalf for showing up. Um, we do not have our usual moderator tonight. Terry Bisson is off hiking somewhere. Um, I, we weren't told where. I think he was afraid we would track him down. And Undisclosed him location. Uh, Undisclosed location, yes. He is on location. Um, but anyways, SF and SF, we've been running this program for about five years uh, here at the screening room. And we have a lovely benefit in that we're able to have a bar here and cater to your alcoholic tendencies by getting you liquored up, making you sit in the seat and listen, and then forcing you to buy more beer for the kids. Uh, we had a contest at one point, and we had started off with shots for tots, and Ellen Clages, <laughs> Ellen Clages won it with uh, drams for prams. So it gives you an idea of our skewed way of fundraising. Uh, speaking of fundraising, I will mention again tonight, we are selling raffle tickets for $5. Uh, four raffle tickets will buy you a free drink at the bar as well. We are raffling off before the movie uh, a signed limited slipcase edition of John Stanley's The Creature Features Movie Guide Strikes Again, a set of rotting zombie clings, you too can be a zombie, without, you know, the long-term commitment, uh, <laughs> the WWAZD game, and yes, Z stands for zombie, a special blood orange candy corn, a pumpkin filled with cool candy for all your little trick-or-treaters, a set of the Universal Films classic monster mints with a personalized signed copy of Shambling Towards Hiroshima by James Morrow, published by Tachyon Publications, a copy of Darkness, Two Decades of Modern Horror, edited by Ellen Datlow, also published by Tachyon Publications. You see the, uh, the nepotism here at work. So. And our grand prize is a lovely little thing that Kepler's Bookstore in Palo Alto donated to Variety to use for just such an event, and that is a graveyard book promotional fake tombstone signed by Neil Gaiman. And this is truly a one-of-a-kind, <laughs> handmade, put together by the bookstore uh, staff, one-of-a-kind item. And again, tickets are $5. I'll sell those throughout the evening, and we will do the raffle before the film. Um, for other SF and SF news, you're welcome to sign up for our newsletter. I have a sign-up sheet at the door, and that gets you uh, an email a couple times a month telling you what's going on with us and with all SF, fantasy, horror, genre literature related stuff in the Bay Area. Our next event is Saturday, November 13th, where we will have fantasy author Stephen Boyette, who author of Ariel and Elegy Beach, and local environmental uh, author Dale Pendle, who is a science fiction fan. So it'll be an interesting evening. That'll be our last event for the, for the year, and then we will have a Christmas Day open house. Again, if you're on our newsletter list, you'll get all that. Without further ado, I would like to have you turn your attention to the man in the hat, our host for the evening. 
which is author John Shirley. He's a novelist, television writer, screenwriter, documentarian, short story writer. I don't know where you find time to do all this <laughs> stuff. You're a busy man. Being old yeah. makes room for it. You just stretch it out over years. And Screenplays include the hit film The Crow, and his work in TV includes VR5 for Fox as a story editor and writer, and Deep Space Nine for Paramount Television. I'm sure most of us have seen either one or the other of those. Won the Bram Stoker Award for his story collection, Black Butterflies, which was also a Publishers Weekly list of best books of the year, and I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite uh, collections. His newest novels are Demons, Crawlers, Bleak History, Black Glass, and a new collection in the forthcoming titled In Extremis, the most extreme short stories of John Shirley. Now, I have a story about one of your books at a, at a convention I was selling, and it was the really, 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 really <laughs> scary story. Weird. 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 Really, 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 really weird. Weird stories. Yeah. And this woman picked really. it up, and she's like, but is it really weird? And I was like, I'm like, just take the goddamn book, okay, if I have to go for it. So anyhow, without further ado, our, uh, our premier author here tonight, John Shirley, accompanied by Nick Mamadis, Ray Garten, and Rain Graves. Uh, Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough was unable to make it and sends her regards. We hope to have her at a later event. Mr. John Shirley. We're have... Uh Nick here first. Right. He's an anthologist and, and, uh, and writer. He's going to tell you a little bit about himself. And then uh, Rain will read, and then myself, and then uh, the star of the evening is uh, Ray Garden. Actually, I don't think I'm going to tell you anything about myself. Uh, I'm just going to tell you about this little book I'm working on, which started a few months ago when a friend of mine wrote me to say, oh, I've met George Romero. And uh, he this guy had a small press, and he says, I think I can, tell, I can get George Romero to lend his name to an imprint of zombie novels. So why don't you write a thousand words of a zombie novel, and I'll send it to George Romero, and if he likes it, we'll all be rich. So I wrote the thousand words of the zombie novel, and I liked it enough that I actually ended up writing 30,000 words worth of it. And I sent all of it to George Romero, and a week later, he uh, got an email back saying, uh, oh, George Romero hated this book. He just thought it was absolutely terrible and that you were uh, going to ruin zombies forever. So I'll, I'll be reading that to you tonight. <laughs> uh, just a little background, it's called The Last Weekend, and basically I, I posit that in a zombie apocalypse, San Francisco would be okay, because as many of you know, there are no graveyards in the town, so the, the, the first wave of zombies would not occur, and uh, as you know, in the Romero vision of zombieism, the zombies are slow, because if they walk quickly, they'd break their ankles. So in a big hilly town like SF with all those staircases <laughs> and hills, the zombies wouldn't just not, would not really you know, make much progress here. And we have the dot-coms the, the are here, so the internet would be okay and the power would be fine. Um, the only problem would be when people actually die of natural causes, they'd come back to life as zombies. So we have sort of this civil service uh, group of drillers who show up when people die to drill holes in their heads so they won't become, a, they won't become zombies. And uh, like most civil service jobs, it's really the dregs of humanity who, who fill them, <laughs> including our hero, uh, Billy, who is going to... Uh, who's primarily an alcoholic and, and wants to be a writer, but is, uh, his day job is drilling, <coughs> drilling zombie heads. So we'll, we'll start with that. Okay. <clears throat> Everyone has their own stories of those first few weeks. The funny thing is that the very worst survival trait for in those early days was an expansive social network. Friends and family all but guaranteed death and an inexplicable mockery of resurrection. Whatever the cause was, and the cause is the precinct of the sort of conspiracy for which nobody has time in these latter days of society, zombieism is very contagious. 
you have to be hard to brain your grandmother uh, or to keep from tying up your child and getting her, getting her to the hospital or rooftop snipers would just cut you down anyway. But the social isolates, the outsiders, the third shifters, we're the ones who lived. I'm not above quoting Nietzsche. What is the greatest thing man can experience? It's the hour of great contempt. Contempt for the self, that is. That syphilitic old Nazi was right about that one thing. Forget guns and canned goods. Dog-eared paperbacks of Dostoevsky, Henry Miller, Colin Wilson. Those were the best survival tools, or at least the best marker of a survivor. Call it antisocial Darwinism. Looters and heroes were among the first to die, then die again when Canadian bombers took out whole cities to bury the reanimates. The rest of the world had a, a different response to America's peculiar, uh, peculiar malady, pointing and laughing. Oh, that was a one-sentence paragraph. I'm sorry, I hate those. Even worse are the one-word paragraphs. And yet our new zombie dilemma lends itself to potaster strum of those one tedious chord over and over again, like soldiers. Or, and from the darkened corner of the room, I heard an unearthly groan. Or, she wasn't my mother anymore. Or, it was all I could do to keep from holding out my arm to the nearest slavering mouth to offer myself to join this brave new wor world of the dead. Or, dear reader, I ate him. <laughs> or, twitching, then Emily's body began to twitch. You know exactly the sort of asinine bullshit I mean. The zines are full of it, as is the internet, and all the mimeographed and hot glue gun novels that anyone can publish these days if they put, want to put the work into it. All the greats are dead, and that was, before, even before the, that was true even before the outbreak. Zombies are ubiquitous these days, as overwhelming to the authorial understanding of America as there was the Vietnam War or the settling of the West. That the rise of the dead was so inexplicable, and yet so deep down in our cultural DNA, so profoundly anticipated, has created immense problems for American letters. But you want to hear a zombie, nov a zombie story? Fine, I'll tell you a zombie story. Uh, the reanimation of the dead is less a matter of science than it is a matter of Freytag's triangle. There just aren't enough research institutions left in the, US, in the U.S. to determine exactly which variables inform the time between the moment of death, as if death could be a moment, and reanimation. Sometimes it takes hours. Other times it takes no more than a few seconds. That's why we drillers are so loath. We never show up on time. Either we end up spl sending splatters over a perfectly nice living room while des desecrating a corpse, or we jump out a window because one's client starts growling, muscles start shifting, fingers flex. Lips peel back and death itself rises, just like on TV. Dramatic irony rules today. Bad luck has washed over our nation like a wave and we're all soaking in it. Relatively few people depend on drillers, but SF is a large city. Families either wisely crush the skulls of their dying relatives on their own, or at least lock corpses in behind heavy doors and windowless rooms and let their favorite uncle howl and beat himself to death against the pieces uh, against the walls. The dumb ones hope against hope that grandma isn't actually breathing her last, or that or that she might have some revenant affection or memory in her brain when she rises from her sickbed in a new posture. <coughs> then there are the homeless and insane, plenty in this town, who wander the streets alone and need help. I don't know who my call was from, or whether the person on the other end of the line would even tell me the truth. Did Joe die just now? Or did it take his grieving wife an hour of sobs and shrieking to get it together enough to call 311 and ask for me? The bartender's face melted with sympathy. I took the call. It's in fucking North Beach without even half a buzz on. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm the sort of person who's really normally very comfortable in a bar. It's where I go to feel warm, a tiny world with all its citizens stretched out before me, and I'm old King Log at rest. Even the chieftain bar wasn't too bad, not compared to my new job and the great unknown at the other end of Columbus Avenue. I sat through other calls from work, text messages, deadlines, earthquakes, fights, raids, you name it. 
like my father in his cousin's chrome diner back in Ohio, or in timid librarians in their bubble-filled bathtubs, are bar to me as more than home, it's an embrace I never want to leave. But I decided to go. Call it Pulp Fiction or the Imp of the Perverse, I took my drill, hailed the pedicab, and headed over to the gig. My only thought in my head that was afterwards I like to pop into City Lights or get a drink at Vesuvio. The corpse I was to attend to wasn't even dead to me. It was a gap, a blank. I was met at the entrance of a squashed old row house by an elderly man, Asian. Excellent posture, I noticed, which is unusual among the very desperate. Please, he said. She's upstairs in the apartment. I didn't want you to ring the bell. Is she? I stopped myself because it looked like he's about to cry. And I followed him up two flights of crooked steps to his apartment. It wasn't quite a hoard, but there were enough cardboard boxes around and stacks of newspapers and even couches, two uh, in the same room, inexplicably facing one another from opposite walls, to make for a tight squeeze through the place. And the smell was mold and cats, though I saw no animals, or kitty litter, or even toys, and that scent of rotten beets, the umami sweet smell of the recently deceased. Uh, why didn't you want me to ring the bell? He opened the door to a darkened room and reached inside to flip the switch. It upsets her. She was hanged. A small woman in a floral print house dress, her neck cranked and her face purple. She growled when she saw me and her limbs activated. Clawed hands, nails long, reached for me. Her slim ankles fluttered and shuffled about. This was the closest I'd ever been to one. Then I saw the cats. Three of them, one missing much of its own face, chewing on pieces of skin that had flaked off the woman. The ceiling was pretty high. Still, I wasn't too fond of this idea. I know it's too late, the man said to me. I just can't bear to wait anymore. The kitties scratch the door all day to let them in. It's really hard here. It's hard. I'm a driller, I said, more to myself than anyone else, though the corpse on the rope thrashed a bit when I talked. The disused light fixture from which she had hanged herself creaked dangerously. This really isn't my department. Why don't you just nail the door shut and move? Take the cats. <laughs> or leave them here, for that matter. Get a shotgun. Blow her head off. She's my wife. His grip was suddenly strong on my right bicep. For a moment, I had a terrible flash. He was going to push me inside, lock the door. Then the woman dropped from the ceiling. How many drillers has this guy called already? Is this how he feeds his wife? Is this how he feeds his cats? <laughs> I dug my heels in instinctively and was ready to brain him with my drill case, but that might kill the old man, and I wouldn't have time to destroy his brain. And then the woman dropped from the ceiling anyway and scuttled toward me in her spidery limbs, and that would be the end of me. How many of the drill cases are in this apartment? Other skulls and femurs? Oh, the kitties, he said, sounding like a balloon slowly, slowly deflating. I asked for a broom. He asked why I wanted one. I realized I didn't know. The childish instinct of poking at a stick, uh, poking at a carcass with a stick, I suppose. But I had to do something, and I certainly wasn't going to get on a chair and start trying to drill its limbs with, uh, with its limbs still flailing. Then a tactic occurred to me, and I didn't care at all whether I lived or died. I ran to the middle of the room, scattering the cats everywhere, and grabbed the woman's legs. I pulled my knees up and left the ground. I wrapped my limbs around hers, clinging like a monkey. For a few seconds, I swung back and forth and hoped the rope was stronger than the rot in her neck muscles, and lo, verily, it was. My ass slammed to the floor, and her body followed, cold but fast. Her head hit, her head hit separately and bounced once, leaving a splat of grue that I accidentally put my hand in as I slid out from under her torso. Removal of the head works just as well as anything else. I screamed like a pressure valve going off, then took a few breaths to calm myself. I was shaking, but not much more than usual. Well, okay, I said, uh, but the man on his knees now didn't answer me. I wiped my hand on some old magazine, but the paper flaked off and stuck to, the palm and, to my palm in clumps. Oh, well, okay, I said again. He started weeping. What? I finally demanded. What did you expect to happen? Should I blow some air up her cunt and she'd come back to life? 
pop her heart out, put it in the store, a dime store mannequin, and that start walking around? Jesus Christ, you make me sick. There was something in my hair now, too. It felt like when I was a kid, my father would shout, eat it or wear it, and turn a bowl of pasta on my head. <laughs> then the man was strong again. He snatched up my knapsack and threw it at me. Then he kicked the drill case in my direction. I dodged, fell to my knees. The case clattered against some furniture behind me. The man could only say, you, you. I stumbled after the case and picked it up. Holding it in my hands, I realized something and said it aloud. God damn it, you know, I didn't, I didn't even charge this drill. I'm such a stupid piece of shit. Thank you. <laughs> Great. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.